final service of the 2018 CEC National Convocation. May God be the glory.
church. We are your sons and daughters. We've gathered here to meet with you. We lift our eyes. We lay our hearts before you, expectant here for you to move. With our hands to the heavens alive, in your presence, oh God, when you come, so pour out your spirit we love to be near you, oh God, when you come.
From my mother's womb, you have chosen me.
It's all right to say hallelujah every now and then.
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel if you are able. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen.
Father, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united to one another with pure affection. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. This afternoon's Old Testament comes from the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, and 8 through 9. Thus says the Lord, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the farther they went from me, sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, who took them in my arms. I drew them with human cords, with bands of love. I fostered them like one who raises an infant to his cheeks. Yet though I stooped to feed my child, they did not know that I was their healer. My heart is overwhelmed. My pity is stirred. I will not give vent to my blazing anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One present among you. I will not let the flames consume you. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the psalm. Our response to Oriel Psalm is Psalm 80. Please refer to the screen for your response. O shepherd of Israel, hearken. From your throne upon the cherubim, shine forth. Rouse your power. Once again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine and protect what your right hand has planted, the Son of Man, whom you yourself made strong. Let us see your face, Lord, and we shall be saved. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and to the Holy Spirit.
according to St. Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 7. And Jesus told them, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire in it, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Christ.
You may be seated. Well, we come to uh, the final Eucharist. I know some of you want to go home, but I don't. I could just move here and stay right here with all of you. You know, and getting uh, to worship God has been so great. And once again, it takes a lot of people to uh, pull this together and uh, make it happen. And uh, and particularly, I don't know about you, but I think the uh, the band and the worship team has been phenomenal leading us. But I, I'm not, I just want to acknowledge people, but I'm not going to call out your names. There's just too many. But I'm going to call out the area of the ministry that, that took place. And if you were in that, that ministry, you were doing part of that, would you stand, as I mentioned, the ministry, and then remain standing? Um, those who were involved in the altar guild, are you here? Please stand. Praise God. Those involved in registration... Registration, there's a whole group that's registering people, some of which have still not registered. <laughs> um, those who worked on the gift bag creation and uh, those who are ushers, you around? Those who took part in putting this liturgy together, which has also been phenomenal. Us in the presence of Jesus. For any who are here from St. Paul's Church, can you stand up? What a great God. Those who took care of the youth night. Youth night set up and design. All who did all this fabrication and made that the set up and design group. Uh, the East Side Cannery staff, especially Lavelle and Dion, we can stay up. Thank you. They've been here all the time, taking care of us. To the um, audiovisual team and the photography team, and then finally to the child care group. Amen. Let's all give them a real round of applause and thank them. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you so much, and, and uh, there are people who know how it is more to give than to receive. God works in and through families. It begins with Adam and Eve, and it continues through the patriarchs. That God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, passed down generationally to generationally. God worked in the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary. And he worked early in the early church, mostly in conversions through households. We read over and over again the households of coming to know the Lord, mostly through relationships and not crusades. Now, saying that, I don't want to, I don't want to take on the church fathers and the role of the monastic life. And, and, uh, but even there... Even there, the idea of celibacy was so that one could become a father to a larger family. And uh, the monks who gathered in community followed an abbot, which comes from the word Abba, or father. And they referred to themselves as brothers. 
and modeled their life together after family. So on that one hand, we, we say, here's God works through family, but we need to be careful that we don't also create an idolatry of family. Very popular today in some kind of thinking we're righteous to say, you know, it's all about family. Well, it's not all about family. It's all about God. I've had people in my church who don't come to church on Christmas Eve because it's a family day. You know? <laughs> it's not all about family. Family is a part of it, and it's a very important part. And as we've been trying to emphasize that, that spirituality, that dynamic of household and God working in relationship. Because family is a school of love. It's where we, where we learn to receive love and to give love. It's that family that, that, that where we learn things like forgiveness, where we learn mercy, where we learn how to give, that it's done, done in, in the household. And we learn that in family, what we really learn, but we don't, we don't really label it as learning how to live in the life of the Trinity. To live in the life of relationship. Even psychology tells us that all our core characteristics that we have as adults are formed in family. Fairly early on in a movement I became part of called Family Therapy. They saw, saw they, what they saw in working with people who had mental illness or an addiction that the person, or it's oftentimes one person that expressed the sickness of the entire family. They took that role upon themselves. And when you get, beginning to get that person well, somebody else would get sick. Because there was a dynamic in the family. There was relationships that are established one for another. And people began to see if we're really going to deal with one person, we've got to deal with the whole family unit. And when we dealt with the family unit, everybody would get healthy and maintain health, at least for a while. And I think that's true in Christianity, that the core characteristics of holiness are learned in family. And that's why, as a pastor, and I know all of you are concerned about the breakdown of the family, the redefining of the family, sadly, not only in the world, but in the church as well. See, the union of man and woman with the purpose of procreation and raising children, for what? In the knowledge and the love of the Lord. That was ordained by God in creation as a means of passing this around. And all the messing around with this is pure foolishness. To even, even think that in New York State, I don't know about California out here, but New York State, on the New York State college applications, there's seven genders. Seven. Got male, female, transgender male, 
transgender female fluid? I'm trying to think of the others, but the last one's other. <laughs> that we begin to define ourselves, and it's all foolishness. And those are, those are issues what we need to hear it's what we really don't need to debate. Them. Those are not our issues. Those are the issues of the world. Those are the debates that should take place in the world, not in the church. God's very clear to us who we are in Christ Jesus. He made us male or female. Period. End of story. Now, I know what we do with that isn't always healthy, because we're a broken people, a wounded people. But those are world's issues. Our issue is that we're called to love, to be willing to lay down our lives. Never are we to strip any human person, any male or female, any child of the human dignity that God has given to them. To do so is contrary to the gospel. Our command is radical love that will not be understood by the world. And see, we need to be clear that marriage, holy marriage, holy matrimony, is our participation in the very marriage of the Lamb. And it's wedding, therefore, brother, priest, wedding should never, ever be done outside of the church and the sacrament. We are not pantheists, nor are we Hindus. We are Christians. And I don't know about you as a pastor, I only do holy matrimony. I don't bless animals either. Those are the world's things to do. Somebody said, you don't bless animals? Why? I said, I only know one blessing. Bless, O Lord, this food to our use and us to your service. (laughs) That ended ended the St. Francis Day celebration in my first church. (laughs) But I don't make humans less dignified of their humanity, but I don't elevate animals to humanity. At the same time, you know, I'm concerned that for their suffering and care, we're not to abuse either. But we're to restore the sanctity of holy matrimony. The world is confused about what marriage and family is because the church is confused about what marriage and family is. And so we're allowing the world to lead us when we should be leading them. And it's radical to get involved in that. Because worship, which is in the end what it's all about, the end of this journey when we give up our last breath is to be caught up in worship of God. 
involvement in the Trinity. And we begin that now. And so convergence, I believe, is it's, it's that mighty river, but it's also family coming together as the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the mystical body, the flock of God. And when we worship, we worship Trinity. We come and to be filled with his love, to be re, re-engaged, re-empowered into that, to show that forth into the world when the deacon dismisses us. And our worship is then supernatural, isn't it? The entire family of God, at this moment, you and I are now engaged in that which is going on for all eternity around us. We come and not to make heaven look like us, but for us to look like heaven. To enter into that. And we come supernaturally and our homes, our lives and our homes are transformed by being in that heavenly throne room. In that place where the saints, the patriarchs, the prophets, the martyrs, the angels and the archangels are brothers and sisters in the Lord who have gone before us, are worshiping, and we will join them. And our churches need to reflect that heavenly place, not a concert hall with spectators at some musical event. Jesus didn't come to entertain the saved. And that's why we do that. Because that's the place where all the blessings are in that heavenly realm. Let me share a story some of you might have heard. <clears throat> when we moved into the house we have uh, now, we, we built a pool. And the purpose of the pool was to get the grandchildren over. It was a grandchild magnet. And... Um, because I, 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 I just know now having eight grandchildren that grandchildren really are your inheritance. You know, they're, they're God's way of saying, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> you know, you didn't kill your children. <laughs> but they're just a blessing. You know, <laughs> just amazing. You can't, you can't, you, when you get them, you go insane. There's an insanity that takes over that deep down inside of you to become another person. Well, one Sunday, we, in New York, we still have ice cream trucks. You, know, and you have ice cream trucks in your neighborhood, like Mr. Softy, and, and they go by and they ring a bell. And uh, every, every uh, Sunday when the kids would gather around the pool, the ice cream truck would go by. And it's one Sunday, it went by like it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And of course, the minute they hear that bell, it's like Pavlov's dog. You know, they just start running. And they all run up to their mother. There were like six of them at the time. And they all run up to their mother and say, we want ice cream, we want ice cream. And the mother goes, no, you can't have ice cream. 
you haven't had your dinner. You may not have ice cream. Well, the youngest, Charlotte, who was four at the time, looks over at me (laughs) and comes walking over and says, Papa, can we have ice cream? I said, no, Charlotte. You can't have ice cream. Your mother said, you're not allowed to have ice cream. But next time, remember who to ask. (laughs) Sure enough, the next Sunday, the bell rings. Five of the grandchildren go running to their mother. Charlotte starts, stops dead in her track, turns around, comes to me and says, Papa, can we have ice cream? Of course, darling, you can have anything you want. (laughs) The moral of that story is you've got to know where your blessing is. (laughs) And our blessing is in the heavenly realms where we are seated with him. We have it all there. And Papa wants to bless us. Papa has a heart to pour out his blessing on his sons and daughters participating in the great meal of his real presence among us. Yes, we need to minister to single folks and widows and widowers and the poor, the hungry, the addicted. We need to minister to everybody. That's our holy call. But God wants to work through families, including the family of God, for the advancement of the kingdom now and throughout generations until he comes again. The Christ who is with us and has redeemed us through human suffering has expressed a way of sacrificial love and a selfless love for everyone, even our enemies. And that's the call we are to live out. And we're called to live this out and through the Eucharistic community, the Eucharistic family in worship, to be transformed through immersion into his life, through immersion into the Holy Spirit, in the abyss, the love of the Trinity. You know, I've said this before, I'm so sick and tired of discussions about how much water it takes to get into the kingdom. You know, we miss something. That word immersion, immersion, I I learned really simply on a trip to Israel. And they found, and when we were in Israel, they discovered a boat from the first century. Now, it wasn't the boat of Jesus or the disciples or anything. You know, it was just a boat. But it was from the first century. So it would have been a boat like the boat that Jesus would have been in. And the, and the water had receded because of a drought and that this boat exposed, and that's how they found it. And they knew it was old, and so they called all the archaeologists, and they all gathered there. And the first thing the archaeologists said is, you've got to keep water on that 24 hours a day. They kept squirting it with water and water and water. And why did they do that? They had to do that because if that boat dried out, 
it would fall apart. And so they immersed it, and they immersed it very carefully. They brought it out of the water, and they developed this tank. And they, they put the boat into the tank, and they put tubes through, throughout the wood of the boat. And in that, they poured chemicals so that the boat would eventually be able to hold itself together without people spraying it. And that process took years and years. That's immersion. That that chemical, that water, had totally overtaken the person so that if they removed that, that chemical, it would fall apart. It wouldn't stay together. That's baptism. That's immersion. We almost saw a real baptism once in Texas. <coughs> Kathy and I had gone to this conference, and it was in a mega church. Enormous church, sat like 5,000 people. And the church looked like an auditorium, had a stage. And up on the ceiling, oh, good, 20 feet up, were these curtains. You know, just a pair of curtains, pretty drapes, pretty big. And uh, the worship started, and it it was incredible. It was Texas charismatic. The only thing it lacked was elephants and clowns. I mean, it had, I mean, it dancers and singers and banners and balloons and, I mean, band and music and everybody's hopping and skipping and dancing. And and all of a sudden, everything stops and the music and the curtains open. And here's the pastor and a pair of waiters with a person. And Boom! They baptize them like that, bring them up, everybody cheer, and the curtains are closed. Wow, that's cool. (laughs) Well, that went on two or three times until the curtains open, and here's the pastor who's about 5'11", maybe 175 pounds, and a person four times bigger than I am. And he goes to take him down, and he slips. And this person at 500 pounds lands on top of the pastor, who's now immersed under the water with his face against the glass like this, (laughs) gasping for air. He almost got immersed. (laughs) But that's what we're talking about. When we come into the Christian life, the Eucharistic community, we come into a process of the Holy Spirit totally taking over us and our families. So we say, it is no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. We're a small communion. I don't think that matters. I think the greatness of our God matters. And our faith in him matters. We've looked for a lot. And God has shown us our weakness. 
He's also shown us our desperate need of him and of him alone. We're called to immerse ourselves so that at the end is to be the same place as we were in the beginning, which is walking by faith in him. Revival begins not by anything we can do, only by what we expect. I had the grace this side of heaven, as many of you did, to take place in the renewal, the revival of the 60s and the 70s, led by men like Gene Lilly and Frank Constantino and Phil Weeks. And how that just came. (laughs) It wasn't something anyone was looking for. I was an Episcopalian. I thought a 12-minute sermon was torture. (laughs) That mass was a 45-minute mass. God forbid anybody expressed emotion. And yet the Spirit hit the church. It just came to people who were willing to receive it. Who were willing... You know, I... I describe the movement of the Spirit in the 1970s. Maybe some of you guys confirm it. It's like a funeral home. You know, when you go into a funeral home, they have the casket at one end, and usually the half of the, the casket's open. I don't know why they don't open both halves, but they only have one half open. You know, and people come up and gaze into the coffin. And, and at that point, they say the strangest things. You stand there and listen. They'll say something, well, he was such a proud man. You want to go, I'm sorry. (laughs) But the one I like the most is you'll get people looking and say, you know, he looks better now than he did when he was alive. (laughs) My God, what did he look like when he was alive? But if you stay there long enough, you know, they, like, they got nice music. And they, they had candles usually. And it's very quiet. Kind of like the church I went to. And everybody just gets kind of used to the body after a while. Just kind of there. But as I was sitting at a funeral, this guy said to me, what if that body all of a sudden sat up and said, hi. And I thought, I said, you know there'd be three groups of people. One would run like hell to get out of there. The others would plant themselves on the back wall, looking. And then there'd be a third group that would run up to the casket and say, do that again. Those were the charismatics. And eventually the people on the wall started to come forward because they said, it's okay. It's okay. Watch him do it again. God wants to move in that way. All we have to do is expect it in our homes every day. We just expect it in our lives. Just walk in that expectation that he's going to do something because God knows we're desperate. God's heard our cries. God's heard us screaming out to him.
God's looked down this week and seen us wanting and desiring and longing for him. And he'll answer our prayer. Because he loves us. He loves us. And I believe a lot of that revival is going to begin in the children. And I want us to pray for those children. I've asked the child care to release them kind of early. And if they can all come forward, we'll wait for them coming. Here they come. They're not the future generation, as we told. They are the generation. Hey, they might be the generation.